Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. How do you want to live? What is your morning practice, your evening practice, your work practice? These questions are but a few expressed in my conversation with Patrick McAndrew, the founder and CEO of Hara. As he writes on his website, Patrick focuses on developing the whole person, knowing that high performance is determined by how you live, not just how you work. In our time together, we explore how where we live influences our creativity, the system of the internet, living with intention versus being manipulated, self-awareness and self-regulation, and our need for one another. At the core of the conversation are two ideas. One, focus is not a single skill, but an outcome of how you live. And two, human potential is the ability to explore the range and depth of human experience. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 704. Where do I find you in the part of the world? I'm in Barcelona at the moment. I moved here last October and um, my time in the city is actually coming to a close in the next two weeks or so. So I'm going to be transitioning back towards the States. But um, yeah, it's been a nice it's been a nice time to live here. It's a, it's definitely a very different way of living. And um, that, that comes with its challenges when you work with people, because most of our audience is in the United States. So I was back in February. I went to Miami and for a conference and it was just very striking to see how different the two worlds are um, and as a consequence it's important for me to be where i'm communicating with those that we serve um, it gives me a, a, a closer sense of of how life is being lived so that's why i think it's important to be back in the states when you're in barcelona how does that affect the way that you think the way that you approach creativity, the way that you approach your work, because since it is so drastically different, it gives you an opportunity to come at it differently. I think I was not so aware unconsciously of how you start to inhabit the patterns and ways of living in the environments that you're in. And then you start to expect that everybody else lives in such a manner. So I mean, kind of small things like having access to nature and using and interacting with nature. I think that's a much more common part of life in Europe than it is in the US. Mm -hmm. From my experience of living in the States for six years, nature is often looked at from a distance. It's not actually you don't actually go into it. Mm -hmm. So you're you're observing it from the car, actually, rather than or maybe driving through it as opposed to walking through it or camping in it or things like that. So that that comes with things. Other things, like I was in Nashville, staying with a friend, and he lived in a nice area. You couldn't. There was houses everywhere, but you couldn't walk anywhere. There was no footpath. So the incapacity just to walk means that you're always using a tool. So you're never really coming into the rhythm of your own way. You're always adapting to the rhythm of the the tool, the mechanism that you're using, which is outside of your body. And and the third way, I suppose I'm I'm speaking more so to the contrast of the two places rather than specifically what it is in Barcelona, because it's probably a little easier for me to see the contrast. 
maybe when I go back to the States, you know, <laughs> in a few weeks, I'll be able to tell you what it was like in Barcelona. It's hard for me to say specifically now because I'm in it. Right. But one thing that was uh, really stood out to me when I was in Miami was that there is far less uh, consideration, I would say, for people's attention in the United States. So I noticed this when I was actually in Charlotte in September, I was speaking to at two conferences and in one place I was in the gym that morning in the hotel before the conference and just in the corner of the changing room where I was, there were three TVs with three different stations playing just in that corner. And, and that meant that like you had to work so hard just to occupy anything that you you were better off putting in your airpods you were better off tuning out of the environment because there was so much noise and and mixed signals in the environment that you were in then i went out to dinner that night to my wife's restaurant there was a huge large screen tv with espn on there over to my left so i brought a book but i was eating on my own but i kept looking over um so it was very hard for me to even sustain my focus and then in february in miami i was at the beach and there was a flotilla with an advertising billboard coming across the water oh and then there gosh. was a plane coming across with an advert so there was no empty space everywhere was was there for you to be kind of manipulated coerced and and to lead you back into the cycle of consumption so i mean there's no doubt that i go down the street here and there's 10 minutes and there's all the you know the high-end boutiques and i see people lining up to get in them on saturdays so the, the, I still live in a culture of consumption. I, I haven't avoided that. I'm not looking to necessarily avoid that, but I just saw it to a more extreme degree. And, and as a consequence of that, there's more of an invasion on your attention in the US. So oh, those yeah. are, and the contrast of the, the, the observance of nature as opposed to the engagement with nature. Those are just some of the contrasts. Fascinating. It's interesting. There was a movie... 10, 15 years ago called Zero Theorem. And there was this scene where this guy's walking down a city street and they designed these screens that allowed ads to follow you. So as he's following, this ad pops up and tracks him. And he, so he starts running. And, you know, as he's running, the ad goes up over a doorway and back down. And, you know, he just couldn't escape it. And it's, I think that's one of the things why I like uh, science fiction is because it can show us the good and it can hopefully show us some things that maybe we'll question. I, mm. I put that as a question because I don't know if we know what's best for us at times, especially when it comes to attention. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a book that I read recently called The System. Mm. I think it's by James Bell. I think that's uh, Bell was the surname anyway. But it was, it was a fascinating book. It was all about the internet. It was about the design of the internet, who owns the internet and, and how it owns us. And it went through the genesis of, of its creation, the business model that it's built on, the capture of information that's used both at a, a level of nation states, but also at a corporate level. And, and really that, you know, we're, we're missing the point if we're pointing the finger at individuals. It's a system. It's a system that's built and the companies are operating within the system. You know, you have a podcast, you you're, I'm in the system as well. You know, like we're not out of the system, right. we're in it. Yeah. Um, now the challenge is, is where, what are you engaging with? You know, what are you trying to do? And 
you know, because it depends. It depends if you're if you're doing something out of a sense of purpose and a sense of direction of what you want to create, or if you're starting to be manipulated by the algorithm or by the metrics of engagement, because um, that can that can be a very coercive way of getting you to act in a certain way. And months and years can pass by, and you realize that you were never really acting out of your own agency or your own self direction. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a big and it's a broad topic and it's definitely becoming more and more present, um, in the way that things are moving, but I, I think anchored to it, and this is kind of more connected to where our work is, is it's, it's about, it's about getting some perspective on how you want to live. So I, I'm not so involved in the, the collective elements of it. So the collective regulatory elements, it's, it's not something that I'm so aware of, nor something that I give huge amount of my attention to it's something that i've tried to do is and i understand the limitations of this as well but I've, I've tried to think of what can i take responsibility for what do i what can i take accountability for i i do live within the system i do live within this world i am so grateful to live within the system and within this world but i must establish some boundaries and some constraints to be able to live a fulfilling life within this world. If I don't, I'll melt essentially, you know, because without those boundaries or those containers, I'll lose my form because I'll be pulled in so many of the directions because it's not, although that's a science fiction scenario of the advertisements following us everywhere in the street, it, we're not too far away from that. Yeah. I was just in the gym this is a, maybe a little crude to say this, you know, it's, it's maybe not the nicest story, but sometimes it's hard to miss these things. But I was in the gym and just a little bit before and I saw the girl over beside me stretching and she was on her phone the whole time while she was stretching. And I looked over and I saw that she was just checking one of her stories that she had put up and she was scrolling through to see all of the people that had looked at it. And like, this is kind of what's happening that these, these little ways that we live, we end up maybe doing things that are spontaneous or seemingly free, yet we get caught in a loop because we get caught in this moment of where we shared this moment. And therefore we lose each and every forthcoming moment that we're moving into because we keep revisiting the past. So that's a microcosm of what's happening at the level of the individual. Um, and, and we're interested in it, in helping people be, get more awareness of that in their life and also working with organizations to have more awareness of that and how they they organize how their people work and conduct themselves yeah wow i mean so much in what you just said and it makes me think of a, a statement that is on your website that just blows my mind it is placing limits on your attention allows you to be limitless and it goes back to what you were saying about boundaries and and putting up you know barriers from those things that are seeking to take us away from what really matters yeah and that that, that can be the hardest thing actually because it's it, we can lose a sense of what does matter yeah so if you're if you're questioning that you won't find it from listening to this podcast i i won't be able to tell you what matters yeah nor will chris you'll have to find that for yourself you'll have to create your own your own framework of, of the life that you wish to live, or you might start to subscribe to frameworks which are offered to you, frameworks which come through the lives lived by others or communities or religions. There's many things which you can choose to ascribe to, but you definitely need a framework because without it and, and, and just seeking momentary and instant and shallow pleasure, yes, that, that, 
that is where your barriers will live. That's where you'll feel like you keep you're the biggest obstacle because there's no constraints. So therefore, everything is optional. Everything is doable. And therefore, you're constantly reacting and responding to the moment of the impulse, the craving, the desire, and constantly finding of how you can organize and design life to be the most perfect way that you want it to be. But of course, that's never available to us. And that's not where we derive our sense of meaning and happiness from. It's by committing to something and it's by persisting and sustaining and growing within it. And uh, the hardships and the difficult emotions and the hard emotions and the hard feelings are part of that. And that is why a large part of what we do at Hara and the programs that we run, Nirayal is, is somebody who speaks a lot about these topics. And I question it because he wrote the book Hooked, which is how you design habit-forming products. But the book, the book Hooked is all about getting addicted, essentially addicted users. You know, you, he, he said you want like crazy users. You want them to be crazy for your product. So he's asking for like complete emotional dis disorder in a sense. So he's really tapping into the emotional states to get them hooked. Yet when he's exploring about how to make people indistractable, it's a, approaching it with extremely rational states of mind. So they've become addicted to things from a very emotional state, but yet they're meant to reorganize their environment from a very rational sense. And that's fine. But what happens once you uh, slip out of that rational state into a highly reactive and emotional state? Well, you likely just slip back into those states of mind you those old patterns so something that we've come to recognize is the immense dependencies that we have on our technology and our tools today are both because they've been offered to us in a frictionless way so they enter into our lives because we download an app to communicate with somebody or to see a video or to read a story and suddenly it's there and now slowly slowly we start investing more and more of our lives more and more of our story more and more of our social connections into this app and now we can't imagine life without it because it's an extension of ourselves it's part of our virtual identity and therefore it starts to fill little emotional voids so little moments of discomfort little moments of uncertainty moments of isolation, moments of loneliness. It becomes the, the thing that allows us to not have to face into that. And it provides us with a, an easy access, an easy outlet. So therefore, what we need to come back to is actually a capacity to emotionally connect. And to do that, we have to have some bedrock things. We have to have some foundational things. And as an extension of that, just to maybe tie this up of what I'm explore, ex discussing here, before we, we spoke, Chris, we, or before we went live on this podcast, I mentioned that I came across a paper this morning. And it was a paper called, just to get the title of it, Realization of Capabilities Through Internet Non-Use by Ultra-Orthodox Jewish Women. So this, this paper, which came out on... The Information Society. Yes, that's what I got it released from today. So it came out in the Information Society and it was exploring 15 women and their lives lived through non internet non-use. So they had massive constraints around how they use the internet. Now they didn't use it. They had little proxies of how if they had to get certain uh, documents for the bank or certain documents related to taxes, they had people who could access the internet for them and get those documents. Interesting. Or what they did, and this was super interesting, is that they would contact the bank, the bank manager, and tell him that they couldn't use it because of their religious faith. 
and he would give them a direct line to contact them. And suddenly it was as if they got VIP white glove service. <laughs> so the so they actually got much better service and much direct yeah. communication than the average person, which had to go through bots to get things from the system. But they got to communicate directly just through phone lines because um, their, their reason to, for disengagement was acknowledged. The weight that they had to hold against not using the internet was their deep commitment to their community and their faith. And, and the thing that tied them to their faith more than anything was their community. So we, we need these strong ties in our life to act as a counterbalance to the impulses and the compulsions of the tools that we have and, and the traps of convenience that they offer to us. So yeah, these are, these are why I say it's the limits that will make you limitless because then you're free to roam within the limits that you've set. But without them, you'll forever be questioning many different alternatives of how you could live. My mind is kind of jumping all over the place here because there were so many amazing things that you just said. But something that just you know came up was as you're talking about community, actual face-to-face -face physical community, I'm curious what's going to happen when we replace that physical community with the tool being our community. Because a lot of people view their tools as community. Is that going to be like driving through nature in your car instead of walking through nature? Well, like, let's look at the, the Apple headset. That's going to offer you all the promises to fill all of the voids that you're experiencing. The way that technology is developing is that it's constantly trying to give us more and more of the things that we're lacking in the embodied state that we get with the headsets like when when uh, when facebook moved to meta and spoke about the metaverse one of the things that they were talking about is how it was going to benefit the work environment because we could have more embodied interactions so what are they trying to do they're they're constantly trying to retrieve the things that were missing by moving into the digital landscape which is the physical interaction and they're trying to bring it into it but it, it's impossible. It's it's a it's a much more diluted form of it, and it's it's only an embodied experience to the external senses. It's not an embodied experience to the internal senses. So something that happens in the way that we live today is that is that our eyes and our ears are completely oversaturated. They're the things that are being given the experience all of the time. So you look at AR and VR headsets. You know, they're completely oversaturating your eyes and your ears in terms of the auditory and the visual stimulus. Now, I watched I watched a documentary by Werner Herzog talking about it was on the kind of the evolution of consciousness. And yes, there are headsets which are coming, which can start to stimulate certain brain regions so that we can start to experience elements of touch and taste without actually having anything touch us or without anything on our tongue. So those things will come and, and you know. You can absolutely see how the sex industry will will claim that and, and that will be its own path. So that's where you'll get your virtual partner. And and yeah, I mean, I think I think that's that's in many ways the direction that we're going in. And and those who are looking for easy outlets and shallow forms of pleasure will will get that. But I, I'm I'm unsure, Chris. I, I can't I can't say will there be some sort of um I'm not, I don't want to be so flippant to say the word awakening, because I know that that's spoken about often, like that it's coming or it needs to come. But I think it's maybe more of 
uh, an, a collective introspection of well, what are we doing? Like, what do we want? What do we need? What are we progressing towards? We're all moving in this in this area of progress, but what is it offering us? Because we we deeply need each other. Like, we're deeply codependent on each other in many ways, even though we like to strike it out that we're we're independent and we can do it all ourselves. And and I've I've. I fell, I fell for that trap, you know, I've, I've very much so in that vein of, of wanting to be quite successful and wanting to drive and to pursue and to push and thinking that human interaction and emotional engagements and things that require time and sitting with people and sitting with emotions and letting all of that play out, that that's, that's wasteful. That's, that's not moving towards the thing that I want. But if you live in that way, it also creates a, a real, uh, emptiness uh which can't be filled and that's why you need to allow the human connection the human interaction which is complex and slow when there's no there's no simple optimization for it it's it's really just about responding to the needs and the demands of the moment so it's about it's about holding these two opposing forces which is one is quite a a conservative and traditional way of living life and the other is a very optimistic progressive and idealistic way and we don't want to simply rest in one or the other. We want to try and hold two together and see how we can bring them into one shared way of being. So I'm not talking about going for one or the other. I'm, I'm trying to look at how we can do two. I'm not anti-technology. I'm immersed in technology, but I'm just <laughs> trying to create some frames around how I use it. And and I think that speaks to what you call self-regulation, Yeah, which is a fascinating concept to me because... I've always heard self-awareness, but people mm. generally don't include self-regulation as a companion piece to self-awareness. Yeah, and self-regulation is 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 so crucial uh, because I, I actually hear a lot of people on our program say I'm incredibly self-aware, and I often tell them anybody who's self-aware will not say that they're self-aware. So <laughs> you want to be really careful about that because you have no awareness of the boundary lines of your awareness. You know, it's all very subjective. Um, so uh, yes, self-awareness is one thing. And, and I mean, that can kind of be interpreted in many ways. Are you aware of who you are? Are you aware of how you feel in the moment? Are you aware of how you're, where you're going in life of what you want? I mean, you can kind of break it down into many constituent parts, but self-regulation, what's that? Self-regulation is, is our body is constantly trying to return to a state of balance, um, a state of equilibrium. Now that level of balance that, that balanced state is very different for each of us because of the conditions that we grew up in, the, the baseline that we accept of ourselves, the expectations that we have of life, many different things, the internal tensions and anxieties that we hold within our body. So the body is, is incredibly adaptive in establishing a baseline. So it's not like there's some general collective baseline. But what we want to do is we want to give people the tools to be able to regulate themselves because where I think I'm speaking about this from an observational perspective. I believe and I think that one of the reasons why we're seeing so many of the challenges with people struggling with resilience and from a mental capacity, mainly from a mental capacity, feeling like they're not mentally resilient enough for the environments that they're in, is because of their inability to self-regulate themselves. So to self-regulate yourself is to be able to modulate and have a sense of control over your inner state mm. so if you get highly stressed so somebody shows up in your life a moment happens 
something unexpected arises, how can you regulate yourself back into coping, back into reframing it in a certain way, or using breathing techniques, or having the tools of your mind to be able to detach from the situation? All of these things, using exercise, using cold exposure, there's many different things that you can use as a way eating healthy rather than turning to more coffee or more alcohol or cigarettes. You decide to go for a green juice or something like that. These are all self-regulatory tools and we're using them all the time. So we're using cigarettes and alcohol and our phone and porn and gambling and all of these types of things. They're in a way regulating us as well, but they're often, they're, they're maybe redirecting our attention or giving us more pleasure or um, in inducing more pain to override the in internal pain that we're feeling. So these are ways of self-regulation, but they're often happening in an unconscious way. So we're trying to give people the tools both when they go to bed at night to regulate themselves so that they can learn, so that we can offer them the tools to actually relax and move into a state of rest without their phone or without the TV. And then in the morning, we're trying to give them tools to regulate themselves, to upregulate themselves. So in the evening, they're downregulating themselves for rest. In the morning, we want to give them tools to upregulate themselves to get primed for the day, rather than using your phone as a stimulant. So rather than turning and looking at the news or social media or your email, and then all that cortisol and adrenaline being jerked out because you're so stressed. And the final way that we're trying to help them regulate themselves is throughout the day by using certain tools, by using certain practices, not tools, but practices to calm themselves down as they move into stress. Because a lot of the people that we do our programs with work and operate in really high intense environments, there's a lot of pressure on them. So we're not going to change the environment. So all we can change is how they respond to the environment. So this is where self-regulation is so important. And in today's age, where the issue, uh, there's many, but one of the primary issues coming back to it of the lack of resilience is because our phone has become the stimulant and the pacifier. So we, mm -hmm. we allow it to pacify us into sleep at night and we <laughs> use it to stimulate us into waking up in the morning. Yeah. So it's become an extension. It's become an extension and the core almost driver of our nervous system. So our nervous system is what's regulating that feeling, that internal state, and we can use light, breath, food, cold, hot heat to regulate it. But we're using the techn technological devices to regulate it, and we're becoming less capable of, of gaining agency of that ourselves. That's why meditation is such a powerful technique, because before it, you have no schema, you have no tools to actually detach from your mind. So your mind becomes, um, you become a servant to it. You, you, you start to live in servitude to the demands, the impulses, the, the things that it's pointing you towards. Once you start to meditate, you start to say, this thing is, is a lunatic. It's nonstop <laughs> at me. The things, the conversations it engages with. Wow. Okay. I don't, I don't give it so much seriousness. I can, I can recognize that it's there, but it's, it's not going to take the driving seat of my life anymore. And, and we need to learn these tools in many different ways, with our body, with our mind, with our emotional state. So these are the kind of things that we're trying to offer to people. This is what we're talking about when we talk about self-regulation. I love the distinction between the tool and the practice. What I like about that is a practice seems separate from the tool. Mm. So, for example, it's like the, the idea of morning pages, which is a Julia Cameron thing from The Artist's Way. And it's like the practice is writing the page. The tool is less important than the action. 
But then she makes the case that writing longhand is going to be infinitely better than writing writing on your phone. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But you know, who knows? But the practice is the thing. Mm-hmm. The practice. You're absolutely right. The practice is the thing that that offers it to us, and the the core elements of the practice that that we hold within the kind of the main anchor uh, and what we offer is the momentum mind program and the core practices within that are your evening practice your morning practice and then your work practice so for a lot of people they try and fine-tune the way that they're working and their processes at work but they haven't really reflected and fine-tuned the way that they're living so if we can do that and the first one to begin with is how you move into rest and relaxation in the evening and recovery And we give attention to that for two weeks. And that's around your eating habits, your habits of moving into rest, uh, how you design your environment, how you design your uh, sleeping environment. All of that is so important. And really, once people start to give effort and intentionality to that for two weeks, suddenly they have a lot more energy. They have a lot more mental clarity. They have a lot more life force and drive within themselves. And now they're able to start putting things in place. But if we come in and if we start talking about how to manage your attention and how to not be so distracted, the reason why that's happening is because you're so exhausted. So it's just an easy way out. I was with my cousin last week and she has two little girls and she was just talking about how she used to she used to judge herself at the end of the day because of how much or the the beginning of the day almost because she was constantly being woken up in the middle of the night while at different stages of her two daughters and and in those interim periods when she couldn't get back to sleep she would just go on her phone because it was just a way to kind of like numb her mind and she was saying i wish i could have had another outlet i wish i would have read a book but it was too exhausting to read a book she was exhausted so the phone was there as an outlet and for many of us our sleep has been compromised because we're using, once again, the TV as the pacifier. So we're laying in front of the TV and we're, we're denying us ourselves to get proper rest and then to downregulate in a healthy manner. So we go to bed with a very fragmented state of mind. We're replaying the stories that have been fed to us through the TV or as we were scrolling through social media or as we were reading the news headlines. So we haven't truly like downregulated and detached from the world and come back into ourselves. So we've been constantly outwardly living through the stories that have been fed to us happening everywhere else except of what's happening inside of ourselves. And as soon as we wake up the next day, what do we do? We lean back into that storyline of what's happening in the world. And we once again, reject the opportunity to see what we feel inside. And we never get a moment to reconnect to what's happening within us throughout the day. And then we hit the pillow. And if we don't have a drink or we don't have the TV or we don't have a phone, we feel this absolute avalanche of thoughts and feelings and agitations in the body. So we have to take out our phone. We need a drink of alcohol. We need the TV because we need something to numb us from everything that we've been suppressing for the past days and weeks. So that's why self-regulation is so important. And that's why I come back to any tips or techniques that are offered in a very rational frame of mind saying, block this out, block that out. They can be valuable. But you need to make sure that your internal state is organized first before you can start adopting these very rational approaches. You know, what came to mind is when you talk about things, not you, but like when people talk about 10x this, 10x that, Mm. what I'm hearing you say, the only true way to 10x anything is to focus on the whole person. 
It's it's yeah. not just focusing on what you do for work, but it's it's everything around work. It's it's again how you wake up and how you go to sleep. It's you know being able to unplug from work and relax and play, and and it's all of those things. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, potential over productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, develop develop pure human potential rather than orienting your mind around being constantly productive because yeah. the vast majority of people who i've met who try to be constantly productive are often very unproductive they're constantly in motion and active but they're not necessarily very productive um they're they're doing lots of things but they might not be constantly moving towards that way that they want to live that way of being and now i am nobody to express how life should be lived i am nobody to express like you know do this don't do that because i have no answers i am searching i am searching and and this is how i entered onto this path because i i turned to the gurus i turned to the motivational speakers i turned to the hustlers and all I found was a lot of hype and no pragmatic practice and no pragmatic approach, no practical tools. So I went out in search of, of, well, what is this thing that we need? We need to focus. What is focus? Well, focus isn't a single skill. It's an outcome of how you live. So but then it's it's quite hard to if you're exhausted and if your mind is all over the place it's quite hard to find how you want to live to get clarity on that it's it's hard so so let's begin with the basic things let's begin with sleep let's get some rest and maybe you have a mentality that if i sleep too much i'm being unproductive i'm not being a valid contributor to society I should be up, I should be at it, I should be doing it. Where did that come from? Did you inherit that? Did you create that view of yourself? Or was it fed to you? Is it something you've been seeing online? Is it a story that you've you've taken on without choosing to take it on? Are you trying to live and breed this other archetype? You know, there's a lady who I spoke with um, a number of weeks ago, very successful journalist in Ireland. She does a lot of great work. But she said, I'm struggling because I most nights I come back and I feel incredibly disappointed in myself because I go on social media and I look at she's doing this and she's she's got this new gig. She's traveling to this part of the world. It looks like she's a beautiful family. How does she have it all together? And I'm struggling. I'm stressing. I'm just about keeping my head above water. I'm just about keeping everything going. And and suddenly you settle into these these ideas and these these uh, views of a better life lived how people are doing it better than you and now this starts to in a very slight and insidious way starts to creep into your identity of what you want and slowly you lose sight of what you want to want you start telling yourself that this is what you want but where did you concoct that idea from yeah it started to be fed to you and i've spoken to a lot of artists about this who find this struggle with the internet, that they are losing their authenticity in what they're doing. I've spoken to photographers and videographers about it, where it creates a monoculture because everybody is taking a little bit from everybody else, but eventually everybody is taking a little bit from the same thing that everybody else is doing. Because once again, the algorithm and the systems of engagement feed certain ways of producing 
messaging content, putting out the the visual based content or the audio based content, it starts to feed a certain way and you start to see those that do well. So you start to say, I'm going to follow that path and that pattern. And that might happen at the scale of producing a lot of content, but it can also happen at the scale of your own internal state at, a, at a level of the individual of what they want and how they should look and who they should be. So, you know, when I travel now, a lot of the coffee shops look the same. A lot of people dress the same. A lot of the trends are the same. So we're living in this, you know, yes, a kind of individualistic world, but it's actually more of a collective world than it is an individualistic world. And the thing beneath all of that is that we're losing sight of what we want to want because it's it's being fed to us. It hasn't actually been crafted from within. Now, is that what you mean by when you say human potential? Is that defining what you want to want? Because that's how I kind of heard it. I think there's there's something emerging within each of us. And our history and our traumas and our desires and the things that we're running away from are all kind of concocted within that. And it is an imprint for each and every individual of what their potential is. And it can grow in many spaces and many domains. It can relate to your relationship with others, your relationship to yourself, your sense of self-confidence, the sense of beauty that you inhabit in yourself. You know, do you feel beautiful from within? Do you feel like you, you inhabit beauty? I'm not talking about like this glamorized view of how we look, but do I feel beautiful in myself and do I admire the beauty in others or am I fearful and judgmental of it are you in touch with how you feel but equally are you able to push beyond how you feel are you limited by these things or can you push beyond them do you just occupy one identity or are are you able to fluidly move between many identities in many different environments are you allowed to build and create and drop opinions freely or are you anchored to them and anchored to beliefs? All of this, I think, is is the potential. And it's 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 not about potential in relation to success. It's about the potential to explore this human experience. When we're gone, we're gone. The touch, the taste, the tactile elements of life, they leave us. Mm-hmm. So the potential is the potential to explore the range and depth of this human experience. At the moment, I'm studying i'm not i'm training i'm training um in a school called bamboo body here in barcelona with an amazing teacher that i have called anna and she learned from ido portal and i'm learning so much from her and um i arrive feeling (laughs) so incredibly uh god stupid and uh, inept often like yesterday we were just doing this very basic practice of precision jumps onto these steps now just one step, you know, a precision jump. But it wasn't just a jump onto it. It was a particular way of jumping. It was how you manage your body weight. And I really struggled with it. Like, I, I, and then I, I, I had, I waited after class and I just practiced enough to get up to the second step. But there's something amazing that's being taught there. She's teaching me so much and she's really forcing us to be aware of it. Then I went to the gym today and everybody had their, airpods in or their headphones on and they're looking at themselves in the mirror and they're swinging weights around and they're throwing their body around and they're we're doing kind of similar things but they're also completely different 
because one is being done with such intent and awareness. We're doing a particular type of jump with a particular awareness of our body moving in space and how connected am I to all of the elements of my body? How connected am I to the swing of my arms to where my weight goes as I hit? How, how, how loose are my hips? But then I go to the gym and it's all about the outside aesthetic. And just like I spoke about, you know, that girl who was stretching, but she was caught in the loop of looking at her Instagram stories. She had her AirPods on. She was listening to music. She was stretching whilst also looking at those Instagram stories. She had very little space to actually explore what she was feeling in stretching her muscles, in actually moving. There was, there was information being received in her body, but she wasn't able to access it. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about human potential, that if we can start to see this range of our experience, the, the layers and the depths to the human experience, we can all, I think, come to choose a more interesting life path rather than the more confined, restricted and external view that's offered to us, which is what's fed to us, fed back to us in what we see on the internet and what we see on the screens before us. And once again, this is not to negate the value of the internet. I think it's a wonderful tool. But once again, I, I do believe that it should have some boundaries and restrictions or else or else it starts to tell us what we want to want. Right. We've seen the ramifications of that play out in many different venues. Yeah. Wow. 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 Three wows just for you. <laughs> when I'm hearing you talk about the experience of learning how to jump onto a single step and you feel like you just know nothing, how do you bring that state of being back to all aspects of life and work? Because that's that to me is a philosophy a way of living that, especially in work, no one wants to seem like they know nothing. And yet, what, what happens? What are the possibilities when you can be that way? It's a, it's a big thing to explore. Yeah. It's hard to say, I think, yeah. but it's worth exploring. Um, Anna said this to us yesterday evening. She said, Success is not a good orientation <laughs> because you're not, you're not receiving what's being experienced in the moment. You are doing it for a finished state, a state that you will come to that that is good enough, but you've already hampered yourself because you have set in this case, it's better to live more of a boundless experience than a bound experience. So there's an observation of this in the distinction between the mature and the child brain. So at a, at a matured level, we've learned that we've learned how to exploit and extract information and topics and themes which will serve us in the social dynamics that we're in. So we're taught that in school. We're taught that, that here's the theme, here's the topic, here's the passage, extract the things that seem relevant so that you can answer the question, score well in the test, and then do well enough. The same is true in college. The same is true in business. We, we find ways to extract the attention of others so that we can more easily capture their purchasing power, 
Um, I mean, there's many streams of things that we can do. We do in playing games of manipulation to get away with seeming like we're doing a good job, but we're just skimming by all sorts of things. And and that can be that can be encouraged and that can be celebrated as well. Oh, he's a good schemer. He's a chancer. He did it. He didn't know what he was doing, but he got the opportunity. And in the the childlike brain, th there is no sense of what we're here to do per se. It's it's that everything is everything is interesting because everything is being learned, and they're 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 not bound yet. So. I'd love to say to you, Chris, that I inhabited this state of mind before I started training with Anna. And maybe in moments I did, but not to the degree that she's encouraged it within me. And at the same time, once again, I get conditioned by what I see online. I get conditioned by what's fed to me on LinkedIn. I get conditioned by what I listen to in podcasts. And what I need is somebody like her and other characters like that in my life, which are at another side of the spectrum, which are constantly demanding awareness and attention and presence and saying, don't fall asleep, stay awake, stay engaged, and be clear on what you're doing here. Don't fall into these traps. So we need others around us who are holding us accountable to this because weeks and months can pass by and you wake up and you realize I was asleep. I was acting on somebody else's rules, somebody else's guidance, somebody else's remit. They never even said it to me, but I just inherited it from what I heard. I inherited their worldview. So it's something that we're trying to encourage within organizations. It's much harder, uh, especially in the types of organizations that we've been speaking to and working with, because they are also constrained by the rules that they operate in, especially if they're a publicly traded company, they're operating on a quarter to quarterly basis. That has a trickle-down consequence throughout the whole organization where there's no space to play. There's no space to be creative. As one guy said to me, Osanikal recently, he was speaking about their CEO. She got punched in the, no in the nose, not literally, but metaphorically, and the recent earnings call. Um, the senior management got punched in the nose and everybody down from there is getting punched in the nose. So that's kind of the way it goes. You know, that if there's if if things aren't hitting the mark for the investors and for the market, everybody is is swings into a state of famine when they previously might have been in a mentality of, of feasting yeah. and what does that create it just creates a very reactive and responsive way of acting and there's there's no space to play so yeah i'm i'm still a, a novice in in trying to uh, incorporate this into my life and there's many 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 stretches where it can it can take hold where it isn't but i can just say how grateful I am to have people like that in my life that I can turn to who are anchors of um, not allowing me to show up with any bullshit uh, and, and, and keeping me real. What a great message to all of us too, because I think the more we can be real, the more we can be our full self, I think the better off we are, but we also show other people the way forward for themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. In in how we give feedback to our friends and our family and our loved ones, you know, if they're slacking, if they're falling asleep, and I say that in the way that they're living and the way that they're conducting themselves, you know, there's there's obviously a difference between being some sort of a, a helicopter in in constant oversight of something. That's not what we're looking for here. Right. We're not asking for somebody to be pedantic, but I am talking about those you love 
hold expectations for yourself and expectations for them. Expectations to be present, expectations to show up, expectations to live with a certain quality. And if we can hold that for ourselves and for others, fantastic. Now, that takes energy and you can't extend that to a mass weight of people. So there's a select few, but this is where kind of speaking back to that that theme that came up in that paper of the 15 ultra orthodox Jewish women, they needed the weight of the expectations of the community because if they were seen to be slipping and getting caught like even small things like you know they were speaking about wanting to use access next which is a british uh, clothing retailer where there is uh, nice clothes which they liked um they love to be able to access it online because there's some cheap cheaper clothes there but they saw even, I mean, I'm amazed by their capacity to see it, but they saw the traps that would show up if they did that. Because if they opened the door to just go on to next, to look at the clothes, there would be other things that they might want to see, other gates that they might want to go down. And they didn't want to do that for themselves, but they also didn't want to let down those in their community. Now, the vast majority of people listening to this, and myself included, are not at that level, because I don't have that societal weight or that cultural weight that I hold, or I, I, I don't have very many traditional elements of my life. I, I've let them go, but I see the great value in them. I don't see them as a primitive thing. A lady, a lady that I learned a lot from in the last few months is a lady called Helena Norberg-Hodge, and she wrote a book called Ancient Futures and also The Economics of Happiness. And something fascinating about Helena and her story is that in the mid-1970s, she was in a region called Ladakh, which is in northern India. And she was there making a documentary at the time, and she very quickly integrated into society and learned the local language. And at that time, this had very much been like a protected region and a protected people. A lot of them had spilled over from Tibet, and they inhabited this area. So a lot of them lived under the, not under, but with the traditions of Tibetan Buddhism. Now, in 1974, India opened it up to outside tourism. And with that, they went from an agrarian culture with their own traditions and values to now the influx of the Western values of wealth and greed and consumerism. And this had a huge shift in society, a huge shift in the people. But the thing which, there was many things which were very interesting that Helena was sharing, but one that stood out to me was that the younger generations started to see their parents and grandparents as dirty and behind and lacking the quality and the substance that this new, more progressive view of life offered. They turned away from their heritage because it occupied a diminished status in comparison to what was coming in from a progressive stance. And we see this in waves, cultural waves, you know, where I, an ex-girlfriend of mine, her grandparents and her parents were Japanese and they gave their kids very American names. And they, they kind of stripped and pushed away all of their culture because her grandparents were held in internment camps after World War II in California. And it was unsafe to be associated to their culture. So they wanted to fully embrace the American culture and the American way of living. But now the generation of my girlfriend, she wants to gain access to that because 
there's no footing. There's no she's there's all those traditional cores and values have been lost. So we need some of these stories. And, and this is what can happen where nation states or groups of people who came who were underprivileged and didn't have access to resources and then go and chase the pursuit of those resources and the wealth and the opportunity, which is their right to do so. They often push away the traditional conservative and seemingly backwards practices in the pursuit of freedom and choice and liberty and openness and optionality, only to come to realize that when you're given all of this choice, it's overwhelming and it's, it's, it's paralyzing. So we end up coming back to wanting more constraint and more conservative approaches because it's a more safer landscape to live within. So this is this is what we're dealing with now, where many of the challenges we're facing as a society today are challenges of abundance, not challenges of scarcity, which is why we'll, we will see the rise of more traditional values, not across the board necessarily, but there will be certainly a space for that in society. And there will be a return to um, a, a greater implementation of boundaries and constraints on aspects of civic life. But will it be done in a healthy way or a dogmatic way or a collective agreement or an oppressive way? That's that's yet to be found. But people can be easily injected with enthusiasm of the counterculture of bringing back ways of being in the old. But that can also be misaligned because it can be used to make people align with people who have more malevolent views and, and dangerous views of how they want to run the world. So. Yes, it's good to try and bring back some more um, some more structure and basis for society, but let's not lose sight of the at the same time the progressive, collective, accepting future that we can move towards. So we can take a more open and accepting world view moving forward while still offering some elements of tradition with us as well. I, I certainly hope so. Yeah. Wow. Well, Patrick, this has been such an amazing conversation. I my my mind is full with all of the things that you've shared today. As we wrap up our time together, what piece of wisdom would you like to leave with the audience? One one small takeaway that that can help them. My suggestion would be consume less and listen more. So when we are feeling confused, little lost, unsure, it can be very easy and very tempting to turn towards another piece of content or another voice or another influencer who's going to offer us the guidance to get to where we wish to be. You know, sometimes they do. But truly, the, the greatest teacher and the greatest student that you'll ever have is yourself. And you need to occupy both the archetype of the teacher and the student within yourself. So there is a higher self in there. There is also a lower self in there, which needs to rise up. And you need space to access that. You need both space to access the wisdom of your higher self, and you need space to be honest and reflecting in seeing the patterns of your lower self. And this is why time in nature, taking time off truly stepping away from the world in a, in in that sense of stepping away from the the influx of information and consumption even be careful about just reading books you know you have the insight 
but it doesn't simply just come and sitting on it. It comes through the dual act of taking action and reflecting. So if you if you do that, you will find your strength and your resilience and you'll find your own inner power and you'll start to explore your own potential. And an experience like that won't just appear. You have to make space for it and you might make space for it in the mornings by waking up early. You might make space for it in the evening by committing to certain acts in the evening giving time to yourself, exploring things, exploring things you're interested in. At the core of what I'm saying here is consume a bit less and listen a bit more. And the thing that you're listening to is yourself. And that listening is both in listening of what's being expressed from within, but also observing how you're living and what you're doing. Why are you actually doing this? So allow yourself to step back from yourself and question the patterns and the paths that you're in. Because... Um, yeah, being fluid with our identity and who we are is actually very healthy. So if you need to strip and, and lose a layer of skin and, and let a new one emerge, that's just fine. That's just fine. You don't have to uphold this identity for now. So um, from there comes clarity and from clarity comes action. So that would be my, my, my suggestion, if, if that's of any value. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for being a guest on Getting Work to Work. What I really appreciate has been how much you bring these ideas that can be thought on, reflected on, and and really unpacked on our own time. Uh, and I hope that other people listening to this will do that work. I know that I'm going to spend some time thinking about this, and I'm just grateful for just how you show up in the world and help to create limitless possibilities for people. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Your questions have been very thought-provoking. And I'm very grateful that you do this and that you give time to this because I know it, it requires an immense amount of effort, even in your planning in advance of sending me questions and having thought through the conversation that we we're going to have today. I don't receive that very often. So I want to acknowledge you and thank you for the dedication to the craft. And these things often happen in the, the shadows in the background, but um, you clearly care about what you do and and that's the point of value is that is that you you have this commitment to your craft and an outcome hopefully of that is that other people will will appreciate that too so so thank you for for what you offer what you share and for allowing me to be a part of it my mind is absolutely blown with how much patrick shared in this episode and i appreciate his final thought of consuming less and listening more specifically listening to our inner thoughts it might seem impossible to do, but what would happen if you started shutting out the world and listening to yourself? For even a minute, what could happen? I know for me, when I choose to listen, sure, I hear things I don't like, but I also hear things I need to have a deeper understanding of, which inevitably shows up in my broader creative work. From here, turning a minute into a longer stretch of time and eventually it transforms into a practice with limitless possibilities. I know I have some work to do, and I hope you realize just how much work you have to do too. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.